You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled The State of Chargebacks, featuring experts from Chargebacks 911 and Count. Hello everyone, welcome to, the, to today's webinar. We're going to go ahead and get started. We're here to talk to you about the state of chargebacks. This webinar is to provide survey results and commentary on chargeback benchmarks and strategies. All right, so today's panelists, we have Don Bush, VP of Marketing at Count. Don has been with Count for over six years. He plays a pivotal role in company growth and is a very experienced educational and thought leader for all topics related to online and mobile fraud. Don leads all marketing and media relation efforts and is a sought-after speaker on fraud topics for several different industry events around the world. We also have Nate Foss with us today. Nate, how are you? Doing really well. Thank you, Malena. Great. Nate is the VP of Partner Relations at Chargebacks 911, and he has more than a decade of experience in helping businesses leverage resources to help maximize their profitability. So he holds extensive knowledge of the payments and fraud prevention landscape and is a leading expert in chargeback management and friendly fraud mitigation. Nate has a very good understanding of merchant needs. He works closely with businesses to understand the unique dynamics that drive their organization and then also develop strategies and solutions for each individual challenge that comes up. My name is Melena Gabu. I'm marketing director at Count. I manage the demand, genera demand generation activities I also get to work with many different fraud experts to better understand what the needs of the market are. And then we also get to create very compelling content such as a survey about trends and best practices related to fraud mitigation. So um, learning objectives, things that we're gonna review on this presentation, we're gonna talk about this survey that we hosted called the State of Chargebacks. So we'll talk about uh, many different results. We definitely won't be able to cover the whole report, but we'll definitely include, we'll cover the respondent firmographics, we'll talk about the current and optimal chargeback rates, disputing chargebacks, some win recovery rates, we'll talk about third-party solutions to fight fraud and chargebacks, and then some of the technologies that are used. So basically we want to cover, you know, what people are doing related to chargebacks, what is needed, and how can we advise them as it relates to chargeback management. So we'll be providing some commentary on that as well. So just so everyone knows, uh, Don Bush is having a little bit of technical difficulties, so he'll probably be jumping on later in the presentation, but we're gonna, we're gonna get started, we're gonna kick things off. We have lots of exciting and great things to present today, so um, don't be surprised if you don't hear from him until later in the presentation. So to begin, uh, let's discuss what the purpose of the survey was, and then firmographics of those respondents. So we launched this survey to provide an overview of the health and status of chargeback management in the card not present payments industry. This is the first survey that is dedicated to chargebacks, and, and we were, and we're very continue, um, we're, we're continued to be exceptionally pleased with the overwhelming response from the market. So um, we're glad that you, you all could join us on this webinar today to talk about it. So we had just over 1,000 respondents in the survey. They represented online, multi-channel, and mobile commerce merchants of all sizes. You can see on this slide, 
the annual online revenue for organization definitely varies. We had 25% of respondents earning less than 10 million in revenue and 21% of respondents with revenue more than 250 million. And then we have a really healthy distribution of revenue in between that. We can also see that 85% of those surveyed process transactions in the traditional e-commerce channel, while more than half support mobile web browsers, and then just under half, 41%, support the mobile app transactions. So when we broke this down by online revenue, we saw that smaller merchants were less likely to support the multi-channel distribution, while larger organizations were more likely to process transactions on both desktop and mobile channels. So a couple of reasons that this might be is, one, smaller organizations may be more niche, and two, they may not have you know, resources to support a multi-channel transaction processing type of scenario. So another point of reference is how much we hear about the growth of mobile. So I just want to touch on that. Um, Every year after the holidays, we analyze our transaction history and we get to see where growth and where fraud is occurring. So in 2016, we saw a big increase in mobile web browser sales. And then just last year in 2017, we saw a huge increase in the mobile app sales. So these increases were talking like triple digits. So 2017, we saw a 269% increase in mobile app sales. So I think it's interesting to note that. Um, we can see you know, some companies may not either find value in that channel or maybe they don't have the resources to support that channel, but we just want to reiterate, reiterate and encourage companies to recognize that growth and how consumers are changing this trend and, and buying you know, within those channels or whatever their preferred method may be. Um, Nate, is there anything else like with merchants that you work with, are you seeing a similar trend? Yeah, absolutely, Milena. Um, I, one that comes to mind is the QSR realm, the quick service restaurant. You might have uh, started downloading like your Dunkin' Donuts app or your Starbucks app, and uh, these, these channels are just exploding. So that makes a lot of sense. I can definitely mirror that. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you. All right, so let's move on to the next um, slide here. When we look at average order value of organizations that took the survey, we see that 71% ranged between that $25 to $500 um, average order. So this metric is, is really important for companies to be paying attention to, to know what is their average order so that they can leverage that to dial in what their most profitable chargeback rate is. Um, the next section, we'll talk about more of those different metrics and some things that need to go into that. Uh, what else, the other item that we have here on the slide is we ask people what type of goods and services they sell. So if we combine the both respondents within the two types we asked about, we see that about 75 or 70% 70 offer digital goods and then 55% offer shippable goods. So this reason, or the reason that this is also important to note is that chargebacks cost can vary depending on the types of goods and services sold. So shippable goods have to take into consideration lost shipping fees or inventory that gets lost to a chargeback, and they may have more time to review those risky orders as opposed to digital good merchants where they have to make that decision real time, and they may have less obvious uh, metrics or, or not as, as um, 
hard data to analyze when they're when they're looking at uh, risky orders. So just it's important to note both of these things: average order value, type of goods and services sold. Uh, it's good to know how this ranks and how this uh, reacts to your business, so that you can be thinking about what's my goal for a chargeback rate. Nate, is there anything else that you would want to add as far as like what firmographic information we surveyed? I mean, anything yeah. else that? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, there's there's an extra six pages dedicated in the actual uh, the white paper that we're uh, that we're releasing uh, shortly following this webinar. So I would just encourage everybody to to pop into that and just see how you stack up against other respondents or, or similar industries. Perfect. Yeah, thank you very much. So I'm going to turn the time over to Nate and I'm going to let him talk all about um, specific chargeback related questions that we asked. Cool. Thanks. Thanks, Milena. So excited to move into the first section, uh, chargeback management. So if you're, if you're a merchant who accepts credit cards, you, you probably already know the effect that the chargeback numbers can have on your business. Um, a high chargeback rate can upset your cash flow, limit your options for accepting payments, or really just wreak havoc on your bottom line. Uh, the state of chargeback survey focus on measuring rates like chargeback rate, win rate, what, um, what merchants' goals are, just high-level challenges related to chargebacks and dispute management. Uh, the survey results also indicate that a majority of organizations are performing chargeback representments. They're doing it in-house with third-party service providers or a combination of both. Uh, furthermore, there's, there's a, there was a wide variance in the win rates and chargeback rates for merchants disputing chargebacks. So before we dive into the data and some of the um, some of the results of the survey, just wanted to kind of touch really quickly on what a chargeback rate is, just so we're on the same page. So 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 credit card chargebacks were originally invented as a consumer protection. I think everybody knows that, and and they in that in that arena they work fairly well. But what happened is quickly people learned how to abuse the system. And that's where you'll see things like friendly fraud now, which can account for up to 70% of all uh, credit card chargebacks that are occurring today. So each chargeback costs the merchant who ends up uh, losing goods, paying hefty fees, and then chargebacks collectively can cut even deeper. If the ratio of chargebacks to transactions or your chargeback rate becomes excessive, hefty fees, penalties can be incurred, uh, and merchants can even lose their card processing privileges, the stamp of death altogether. Um, generally, a merchant's chargeback rate is calculated using the following equation. Total chargeback cases per month divided by your total transactions. So the example that we used here was 100 chargebacks per month divided by 10,000 transactions per month will give you 0.01 as a decimal or 1%. Um, now the 1% the threshold, obviously this can, uh, and the formula can slightly vary just depending on your card scheme, but that typically is, uh, is related to the month of the chargeback. So what, what constitutes a high rate? So as a rule of thumb, the standard industry maximum is 1% of monthly transactions. And this can slightly depend on the geography, but who decided on that number? And do merchants have any say any say so here? So before we get into the first piece of data from the survey, we wanted to do a real quick audience poll. 
Great. Thank you, Nate. I'll go ahead and launch that. So we want to ask you on the call today, what is your optimum chargeback rate? So just please select one of the following. We've got less than 0 0.1%, 0 0.1 to 0.5%, 0.5 to 1%, 1 to 2%, or greater than 2. So as we're allowing respondents to answer this, and as a reminder, it is required if you're looking to get that CPE credit, Nate, what are some other factors that merchants need to take into account when they're calculating their goal for a chargeback rate? Um, so when you're thinking about your optimum rate, you know, you want to think about the, the type of goods or services that you sell, um, you know, the industry that you're in, your, your average order value, what your, what your risk threshold is. Uh, you, you know, there's, there's a myriad of different things you can think about, um, you know, from acceptance rates, decline rates, uh, your affiliate network, or, or how um, aggressive you want to get in marketing. There is, um, it really just depends on the business and every business is unique. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's, that's prominent when we talk with our client success team or we talk with anyone in the industry, they always want to know what a good, good benchmark is. And it definitely varies on the type of business that you are and all that other stuff. Um, we like to think of it as finding how to accept more good orders instead of how, how to find reasons to decline them. Um, so we just like to look at it in that positive spin instead of, you know, let's, let's decline as much as we can to, to get our chargebacks down. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, I'll go ahead and close this and share the results here. All right, so we can see that most of the people on the phone have that 0.1 to 0.5% chargeback rate, and then next up would be less than 0.1%. Um, we want to give you guys a chance to see how this stacks up against the survey. So I'm going to go ahead and just let Nate continue on with that. Yeah, interesting. They, they're, they're pretty similar. Um, the, the, the sample size that we have for the people on the call today and the thousand plus people who participated in the survey um, about a month ago. So you can see here, this is, this, is, um, this is coming straight from participants in the survey when asked, what is your optimum chargeback rate? So, you know, obviously it just depends on the business and that it, it, we see the biggest chunk, 40% is less than 0.1%. So on the surface level, you might think, I don't want any chargebacks at all. Let's clamp down our defenses as tight as possible. Um, some people want maybe 0.1 to 0.5. It really just depends on, you know, the geography that you sell in. Like, like we mentioned, um, uh, uh, Malena, the cost of goods that you sell um, some, I think, you know, something that's interesting is that 11% really didn't even know. They, they don't know what is the optimum chargeback rate. Um, and so that's why I think it's going to be pretty enlightening for people to, to dig into um, the, the state of chargebacks report. And you can see a little bit more granular data broken out by industry type um, and, 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 you know, a few extra data points. So I definitely encourage people to do that. Now, now some of this is out of your hands, uh, like friendly fraud. But, um, you know, that's why we've partnered with Count. Count has this uh, down to a science. So moving on to the next result, your current chargeback rate. So we saw a couple slides ago that, uh, you know, over 80% of those that were surveyed wanted a sub 0.5% as their optimum chargeback rate. 
unfortunately, in many instances, your actual or current chargeback rate is going to be typically higher than what is optimal for you. So, uh, you know, I won't kind of go into every point, but some things that stick out to me is that, uh, you know, more than 40% of the respondents have rates higher than 0.5%. So it's nearing that 1% threshold and 13% of merchants don't, don't know, don't know their current chargeback rate. And this is not too, all, uh, too, too uncommon for merchants not to know their chargeback to transaction rate, especially if you're in a more low risk business, this might not be something that uh, that you dig into and that you that you calculate across all your uh, your different chargebacks. So the big question is: At what point does a rate become unacceptable? Uh, again, one percent or one chargeback per one hundred successful orders is the industry standard, but it's a maximum and not a good average to shoot for. And how close a merchant can get to the one percent depends largely on whom you're dealing with. So we've noted that uh, card schemes can calculate uh, chargeback rates slightly different. Uh, slightly different banks, processors can have their own rules as well, but there's other factors related to the merchant that can come into play. Two that come to mind: one is history. So a processor or network might look at your record. The more months that you have with a low chargeback rate, or you're in good standing then the greater are the odds that they're gonna let a bad month slide here or there without you getting a nasty letter in the mail or incurring a fee um, or having to pop on a call. Uh, volume, many transactions, uh, how many transactions that you have in a month could matter too. So think of it this way, if you're handling a, a couple hundred transactions a month, then one or two chargebacks could conceivably put you over the limit for that month. Uh, some processors might take that into consideration. The bottom line is card schemes want proportionate rates and the lower the better. If your charge back to transaction ratio sits at above the 1% mark, month after month, credit card companies will label you a high risk merchant and will, requ will require you to join a chargeback monitoring program. Which leads us to our next slide. Um, so one of the questions that we asked in the survey was um, how many of the respondents are currently in the excessive chargeback program or are in, in a excessive chargeback program? So we can see here that the, the, the vast majority, 74%, are not. 10% um, are, and still a handful of people are, are uncertain on that. Um, but what we, what we can tell from uh, the past couple slides is that um, you know, even though 10% are, are over the 1% or, or, or have been consecutively there that put them in a, an excessive chargeback program, there's still a good chunk, about 25%, that their current chargeback rate is above 0.5%, which could be nearing that threshold. So, so both, Mas both MasterCard and Visa have chargeback monitoring programs. We know this, but monitoring in this case doesn't just mean we're watching you, you know, please, uh, you know, just in case. It's more like we have to watch you. This is costing us money, therefore you need to pay us. So MasterCard's two-tiered excessive chargeback program, for instance, requires each acquiring bank submit a monthly report that outlines the activity or activities of the listed merchant in the program. And MasterCard will, of course, charge $50 to $300 for each report the bank is required to send. The cost of not filing is even worse. Penalties can run as high as $1,000 per day. Uh, Visa, on the other hand, their chargeback monitoring program is pretty similar. 
uh, they add a separate category for international merchants and Visa can charge up to $100 per chargeback for high risk merchants, quote unquote. These fees are levied against the acquiring bank, the merchant's acquiring bank, who will naturally pass the cost on to you, the merchant, along with occasionally a healthy markup. The merchant's monthly excessive chargeback program, uh, the, all the expenses combined can really add up in a hurry. So moving on, let's talk about, let's talk about some of the biggest challenges with chargebacks. Now, just as a real quick note, uh, you might be thinking uh, count and chargebacks need to go back to math class because clearly your percentages do not add up to a whole. Uh, just, as a, just as a preface to this, <clears throat> the question was actually around what are your top three biggest challenges with chargebacks? So, Milena, if it's okay, I'll cover the top, the top two, and if you want to cover, um, you know, some of the other ones, that's that's fine as well. So, the yeah. the top two um, that that I see, um, obviously, disputing chargebacks and identifying friendly fraud. Uh, this is this is um, been a hot spot in most of the conferences that you might have been attending, um, but there's 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 plenty of reasons for it. Disputing chargebacks is difficult. Um, there's a lot of overhead and it's very um, uh, time consuming to do this. Um, and identifying friendly fraud is very difficult. It's nearly impossible on the front end to identify friendly fraud because these are actual legitimate transactions that, that uh, customers will just go to their bank to say that uh, to, to get a forced refund in the form of a chargeback saying that for some reason or another, uh, this is fraud. They didn't get this. They didn't authorize this basically cyber shoplifting. Um, so it's very difficult uh, for, for merchants to combat that. Uh, so, so those are obviously the top two. I'll let Melana cover some of the others. Thanks, Nate. We're definitely hearing that in the market as well. Those two challenges are very, very prevalent in the market. If we move on to the next one, decreasing my chargeback rate. So that is very valid. So chargeback rates are a really good health check of your business. If you are looking at your chargeback rates and you, if you look back three months trending and start to see that is increasing, that could be a good indication of potential fraud or maybe there's something else going on with your, within your business that's hurting sales or, or increasing that chargeback rate. So there's a dozen of strategies that go into decreasing chargebacks. There's the device identification, mobile, mobile device signals, proxy piercing, there's velocity checks, order linking. Um, we can just go on and on and, and how important, of course, pairing all those technologies with machine learning to help spot those anomalies are really important. And then if we uh, move on to the next challenge of balancing chargebacks and false positives, that's also a really prevalent challenge that we're hearing in the market today. One of the most difficult things to track is if you're declining a valid order or maybe you take too long to approve an order that customer then leaves and moves on to a competitor to purchase from their website, it's really tough to know when that happens and how much you could be losing with that customer lifetime value. So, you know, we call false positives the silent sales killer, and that also takes quite a few different technologies and strategies to properly manage and make sure that you can get to a really good balance of, of chargebacks and false positives there. So let's... Um, so, Melinda, can I just one add thing? one... One quick thing. 
Yeah, uh, so one thing that I just noticed and is that 11% say that getting out of the excessive chargeback program is, is, a, is a major challenge with them. And I always think, um, um, you know, a good analogy would be uh, your credit score. You know, it's very easy for your credit, your credit score to drop. Uh, and it's uh, somewhat of a challenge for uh, people with bad credit to, to, to build and to, to build on their credit score. So it's all it takes is one or two uh, bad months for you to get into an excessive chargeback program. And it can take one or two good years for you to really get in good standing again. Yeah, that's really good insight on that. I didn't even realize it took years. Um, another thing that I was thinking about as you were presenting the last two slides is something that we, we talk about in the industry known as maybe chargeback lag or the lag in getting those chargebacks reported and, and how that can play into this. Um, the holidays just happened, so sales were most likely up for most companies and at times it's, it's typically January, February, March where they start to see those chargebacks come in and it's really hard to reconcile that to December sales or you know, how you do that, that revenue reporting against your chargebacks makes it quite challenging. And then I, that lag is also going to, um, I think it can be easy to kind of get into that excessive chargeback program without knowing it. Nate, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's you know, it just could be the, the bandwidth of your organization. Um, you know, you don't, everybody plans for the final three months of the year. Uh, making sure that they can process as many orders and fulfill as many orders as possible, but then they they think that they can uh, to, you know breathe a sigh of fresh air in January, but then the the kind of onslaught of chargebacks come back when, um, especially friendly fraud chargebacks when people look at their January credit card bill and they're thinking, what are some ways that I can reduce this? Um, so yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to this next section. If you want to. Talk about representment. Yeah, absolutely. So, so char we 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 kind of touched on um, uh, you know obviously we've touched on chargeback rates and chargeback um, excessive chargeback pro um, uh, programs. What the biggest challenges with chargebacks? Now let's let's touch on some things that you can do as merchants to uh, to fight chargeback fraud or to recover as much revenue as possible from your chargebacks. So uh, let's, before we do that, let's touch on a, this, was this the second or third actually a poll question for the day? Yeah, so I'll go ahead and launch this again. We just want to give you a chance to um, answer this question. We'll see how it stacks up with the survey and then we'll also be able to better present some of these findings to you. So just let us know, are you currently disputing chargebacks at the company you work for? So options, yes, no, I don't know, or perhaps it's not applicable. We'll give everyone just a few more, I guess, 30 seconds to answer that. As a reminder, it is, it is required to answer it. If you are looking to get the CPE credit, there's no wrong answers, but it is required that you do answer the question. All right, we're definitely seeing most of the responses in here. Okay. All right, I'll share those results. So we can see that 75% of people on the phone are in fact disputing their chargebacks. That's really great to hear. Uh, we're definitely interested in how you stack up with some of the survey re results that we found. So let's keep that moving. Yeah, another one that, that, that really mirrors 
the, uh, the, the survey. Um, you know, I think it said 75% from those polled today are currently disputing chargebacks. And you can see um, that our survey yielded almost similar result. 82% uh, of organizations today are disputing chargebacks. Um, 10 or 11, or I'm sorry, 11% are not, and 8% are just unsure if they do or not. Um, and, you know, the, the reason that a vast majority of merchants, I think, are, are moving to disputing chargebacks or hiring or, or, or working with third-party vendors or doing this in-house is because uh, one of the main factors in fraud rising is friendly fraud. It's becoming, uh, you know, more of a priority for e-commerce businesses of all size to, to build this in uh, to their defense. So, and it's not surprising to see that 11% are not disputing as well. Um, you know, just depending what, what we talked about earlier, depending on your business, um, there's there there are reasons why you might not. Uh, so why don't more merchants dispute chargebacks, uh, particularly ones they know are fraudulent? Uh, it, it could be just that chargeback management is time consuming and it's expensive for everyone involved, including the banks and the networks too. There's overhead for everyone. Um, chargeback monitoring programs implemented by Visa and MasterCard were intended as deterrents for merchants. Uh, but let's look at let's look at some of the reasons why merchants wouldn't fight uh, chargeback fraud or wouldn't dispute chargebacks. So the two biggest chunks that we see here, 26%, not enough resources. It's just the bandwidth. Uh, <clears throat> and the, the next one, 28%, not enough chargebacks to justify representments, which to me means maybe the merchant is getting a, you know, just a handful of chargebacks. Congratulations. And they don't want to hire or train or keep someone up to date, <clears throat> excuse me, with the, uh, the, the ever-changing rule changes uh, um, that, that affect merchants in the dispute process. I think it's funny that, 50, well, it's not funny, obviously, but 15% say the reason that they don't dispute chargebacks is that they just never win. Um, and, you know, I, I, can, I can sympathize. Um, maybe they just don't know what is is normal for them as well um you know i see that 16 percent they they don't know why they don't maybe maybe you know and i'll speak to a merchant that says we stopped uh, disputing chargebacks because we were only winning 20 percent of them and it just wasn't really working out for us and they thought that they were failing miserably when that's actually closer to the norm than what they think absolutely so nate i just want to interject and this brings me to a case study that we did recently. So we do partner together with merchants as far as the chargeback representment and, and working in the account system. So ClickBank, if you recall, did a case study and they had some really impressive numbers. Is that something that you want to just touch on? Sure. Um, if, if you guys see in the um, in the, the GoToMeeting link, you can actually, um, I believe you can download, the, there's a PDF of the ClickBank case study. Um, and it was it's, it was fantastic. Kind of similar sentiment. Um, ClickBank is a digital goods provider. They didn't think that they were winning enough. They didn't have the bandwidth. They're a digital goods merchant, um, and and really they just they they never they never won. So they didn't dispute any. They didn't dispute their chargebacks. Um, they partnered with us not too long ago, and after 90 days, um, we had recovered over $400,000 in in chargeback reversals in revenue. Um, so it was a you know it was a it was a fantastic uh, story, a success story, and we we love sharing those um, just for people who are thinking you know they're on the fence. We're not disputing as an organization now. Um, you know what's the upside? Maybe we should do this. 
Yeah, absolutely. That was definitely a really good use case. And then I think their percentage win rate was over 70% was also was. a really good benchmark. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of leads into, I guess, this yeah, stat perfect. that we have here. Yeah. So the, the next um, is chargeback revenue recovery win rate. Um, so the biggest chunk of this, uh, I guess, outside of the group uh, that did not know the 24% is that 19% of merchants are winning one to 15% of their, of their chargebacks. So this is, this is all too common. Uh, sometimes people, uh, merchants will, will send in a case, they're, they're 100% that this is a sure win and they'll get the letter back saying that they lost and they have no idea why. And it could have been something that it wasn't in the right format of the issuer. It wasn't a cover letter. They expected it to be faxed. You emailed it. Um, the, the small kind of uh, minutia. So Visa and MasterCard say that only 21% of chargebacks disputed globally are decided in favor of the merchant. Around 21%. There was a cyber, uh, cyber source fraud benchmark report that found that only 60% of chargebacks are disputed. Um, by merchants and that merchants typically have a success rate that varies from uh, 35 to 40 percent of the ones that they do represent. So if you add that up and you're thinking about your win rate, if you have 100 chargebacks in a month and you're disputing 60 of them and you win 30 or 40 of them, your win rate is about the 20 percent. That's that's the norm. 20 percent of your total chargebacks you are winning. Uh, and, and, and really one of the reasons why I, we do see a big discrepancy, um, even amongst similar industries and businesses where some might be winning uh, or they think they're winning 60% of their chargebacks or, or 45 to 60 and some are like, we're winning, you know, five. How is that possible? Maybe people are, are, are tallying their, their win rate based on um, uh, the success that they're having and not their the actual win rate, which is based on the total number of chargebacks that you have versus the ones that you have had success recovering. So moving on. Um, so we are at uh, um, the percentage. This was a poll just to see of, of the you know thousand plus people who participated in the survey. Uh, how many use a third party vendor uh, such as Chargebacks 911 to assist with representment? 73% right now of merchants surveyed are doing this in-house. 11% are using a third party vendor and 10% are using a, a combination of both. Um, and, and I can you know obviously totally relate uh, to that, a lot of people are trying to tackle this in-house and maybe you're just getting frustrated with their results or the bandwidth and decide, hey, you know, we could definitely use some help. So moving on, I think the, the next section that we want to talk about is fraud management. So I'm going to kick that over to Malena. Great. Thanks, Nate. I think one other thing to mention on that last stat that you that you talked about was that high percentage of in-house. And then if we take that to the slide before, where you're talking about the win rate and how it's, uh, let me go back here. So 60% of the respondents either didn't know what their win rate was or it's under 30%. So a combined total had, you know, it's either they don't know what it is or it's, it's just under 30% and maybe looking to outsource that or leverage a partner like Chargebacks 911, how that can significantly increase what their win rate may be. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we so. would, yeah, we, we definitely hope to improve, uh, if not double or triple what, what in-house teams are doing. Yeah. 
So next we'll dive into the fraud management section of the survey. So respondents did provide information about either teams or tools or best practices used in online fraud prevention. So when we look at this stat here, we asked respondents what their responsibilities are within the company. We found that it was quite interesting that, for one, more than 54% work in fraud prevention, but then also there's many different instances where respondents are managing more than one of these responsibilities. So again, this does not add up to 100% because we ask people to check all that may apply. So our experience in the market that also reiterates this, this stat is that a lot of times these functionalities reside within different parts of the organization. Nate, is that something that you find with chargeback management as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, you know, it's always a, um, a mystery to see who is going to pop on our first dis discovery calls. It could be somebody um, in uh, customer support or who runs the, uh, that, that team or e-commerce, fraud prevention, operations, could be a CFO, treasurer, accountant. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, just depends on the organization. Yeah, absolutely. And then if we move on to um, this next question, so we asked people to let us know if they're using third-party fraud solutions. So less than half of organizations overall, and that was 45%, indicated that they are using a third-party solution today. Um, but when we looked at this data a little bit further, we saw that there was a disparity between the higher and the lower online revenue merchants. So 35% of merchants earning less than 10 million in online revenue use the third-party fraud solution compared to 56% of merchants that were more than that annual online revenue. So definitely a really big difference um, when we drilled down there. We also broke this down by industry because we, we wanted to see if there are some industries that may lean more towards the outsourced solution. We saw that events, ticketing, health and beauty, digital downloads and streaming, and then the dating and social industries were all more likely to use a third-party fraud solution. And that was in the like 88% or maybe the 60 percentile. So, you know, if you're one of those types of merchants, you may or may not relate to that, but it was definitely an interesting um, statistic for us to look into. So let's move on to the next slide. Um, when we asked how many people are on the fraud review and prevention team, it was most common that two or fewer were part of that team. So as we mentioned earlier, it's common for employees to manage more than one responsibility as it relates to fraud and chargebacks. And when we looked at how this breaks down by revenue, as you'd expect, merchants with the higher revenue were more likely to have larger teams. So when we look at the graphic on the slide um, here in the top left, it further drills into how many people are performing manual reviews as their primary job function. So we wanted to show that breakdown by annual online revenue because it brings a contrast to that next stat where it's the use of, of third-party fraud solutions. We see that organizations that have less online revenue are least likely to use third-party fraud solutions but also have the least amount of people dedicated to manual reviews. So depending on that average order value or um, if you have less in-house resources and you're also not using a third-party fraud solution, I would imagine it could make it pretty tough to manage your chargebacks efficiently. Um, there's, there's definitely resources and partners out there, uh, if, that's, if that might be you. When we look at the larger end of the spectrum, in the 200 in, or the 25 million and above in revenue, it's, it's definitely more common that they're using a third-party fraud solution 
and they often have less resources dedicated to manual review. So we just thought it was interesting to kind of bring this drill down um, statistic here in the survey. Is there anything else, Nate, that you would add? Um, not really. I mean, I think uh, the, the data kind of speaks for itself. I mean, the, the only color that I would add is that, um, you know, it, it does make sense when, when people do, uh, you know, work with a third party provider, either for fraud or chargeback help, that they, you know, typically will reallocate their, uh, you know, their, their, their resources to, to wherever is the best fit. And a lot of times that's manual review or, you know, someone turns into a Swiss Army knife and they are just helping wherever they can. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point because really what our goal is to help the merchant get more revenue, decrease their fraud, and then let them get back to business. Let them manage whatever their core business is and, and us or Chargeback 901 manage that specialist as far as fraud detection or chargeback management. So yeah, I think that's that's a good way, a good point to make. All right. Um, so we we see that Don Bush was able to make it online. Um, I'm going to move on to the next slide. I think if if he's here, he can definitely add some commentary. But we we analyzed the um, we asked respondents what their top five technologies were to prevent fraud and chargebacks, and this is what they came up with. Don, are you by chance online right now? I am. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you. We're glad you could make it. Well, I apologize for some of the mix-up stuff going on here, but um, you know, this particular slide, I think on the survey we had what about 25 different technologies that we asked people to tell us what their top technologies were, and these were the top ones. And um, it's a little bit alarming when you start looking at address verification and CVV. Um, those are uh, they're helpful, but they're certainly not great technology. When fraudsters look at what they're trying to do, the first thing they do is look at things that are static, numbers and identification pieces that don't change. I can go online now, when I buy a credit card from a, a fraudster, I buy it with the CVV code. I buy it with an address. And so because those things are lists and they're not dynamic, they're very easy to replicate, they're very easy to get a hold of, and it means it's easier for me to cause fraud. So count, uh, in the last year or so, it took about 100 million fraudulent transactions and looked at them, and I, I'll, I'll get the number incorrect, but you'll understand what I mean. Somewhere around 96 to 97% of those fraudulent transactions had an accurate CVV. Um, so while that might be a confidence builder for your customers, it's certainly not a great fraud tool in preventing chargebacks and things like that. Other ones are a little bit better. Email verification is better. Uh, decline and negative lists are okay, but again, those are static pieces of information in a dynamic world, and they're easy to get a hold of and replicate and use. So it's a little bit concerning that the top five technologies merchants looked at to prevent fraud are probably at least three of those among the least effective in uh, in all of the technologies that are available. Right. Thank Absolutely. you, Don. So we have one last polling question, and this is going to obviously lead into another survey question that we had. We are wondering, what is your main source of chargebacks? 
You do only get to choose one, so you have to be kind of selective. Um, please let us know. We'll give you, you know, 30 to 60 seconds to answer that. And then just as a reminder, if you're looking to get the CPE credit, you do have to fill this out, but there's no wrong answers. Uh, once we do get all the polling in, we'll, we'll share the results and then we'll also let you know how that turned out in the survey. One thing that Nate touched on earlier, we do have a couple resources in your handout section. We have the ClickBank case study, which gives you some really great strategies and proof proof of points as far as disputing chargebacks. We also have the full report available for you within the handout. So you came to this webinar, you definitely earned it. We're not gonna send you to a page where you have to fill out another form. It's a 30 page report. It includes everything we've talked about today and then it also includes more commentary or more, uh, more factual information that you might find interesting. So it looks like we've gotten the majority of the audience sort of answered. We'll go ahead and share the results. All right, so we can see for those on the call today, 55% of you, the main source of chargebacks would be transaction fraud. Sometimes we call that card not present fraud. And then followed by that would be friendly fraud. I'm gonna go ahead and, oh, my computer's a little bit slow. <laughs> okay, I'll go ahead and share what the the results were in the survey, we can see it's actually kind of similar where the largest source was the transaction or card not present fraud, followed by friendly fraud. Um, Don, any commentary on this? Yeah, this isn't surprising. Uh, transaction fraud is the obviously the largest uh, in the criminal industry. They've been doing it for years. They're getting very good at it. Um, and uh, they just keep they keep getting better and better. Their tools get better. The data gets better. Opportunities get better. The one thing um, I'll let I'll let Nate talk about friendly fraud. I'll, that continues to grow, but account takeover is another one of those areas where because the amount of data out in the market is so good and so cheap and so available, uh, account takeover is growing probably more dramatically than we even expected a few years ago. Uh, you know, I do this, <clears throat> I've done this before to the audiences around the world that we do the Fraud 360 to, and that is, how many accounts do you have? And I did my own assessment. I have 22 online accounts between my banking, my 401k, my medical, my uh, Delta Airlines, and all the different things that I'm in, 22 different accounts. I'm like, I think, most people. Uh, I, I don't change my passwords very often. Of course, according to security experts, I should change my password on each account every 90 days, which means for me, every year I'd have to come up with 90 new passwords. I, I just don't do that. Most people don't. And when that data for the account takeover information is out there, if they get into one of my, tr my uh, accounts, there's a high likelihood they can get into several of them. So we see that continuing to grow. Uh, Nate, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the friendly fraud aspect of this? Yeah, I mean, a very, very similar um, to uh, the growth of um, ATOs is is uh, with friendly fraud as well. Um, you know, we've seen uh, friendly fraud rise at a, a higher rate than what, you know, e-commerce growth is at. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely 
you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, every single conference that you can go to, um, educational, informational for e-commerce businesses to, to better themselves is going to have um, a section or two on friendly fraud. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. And then another thing that was interesting that I'm glad showed up in this was, um, was, was merchant error, um, because a lot of times, you know, what we, what we find is that merchants find it painstaking to dig through and, and really understand their chargeback data and use that, use their chargebacks as a feedback loop to improve on your business, to identify different things that you could potentially be doing that are triggering chargebacks. Um, and those are the most curable, preventable chargebacks um, that you can, that, you know, is 100% in your control. So, um, you know, that, that's, that was, I was happy to see that as well, but I definitely echo um, what you said um, with the, uh, the 20 accounts online. I'm probably right there as well. You know, the other area that's a little bit alarming here is 12% don't know. Now, I know in any survey, some people are just trying to get through it. Maybe they, they don't answer as accurately as possible, but still, that's, that's an alarming number of folks that don't know where their chargebacks are coming from. If you don't know where they're coming from, you don't know what to do to help prevent those. So I thought that was another piece of information that was a little surprising. Absolutely. It can be, it can be painstaking just to get your chargeback data, better yet understand it. All right, thank you both. So just to summarize what we've talked about today, to summarize what we found with this survey, we, we do feel in the market, there's definitely been progress made on chargebacks. We see that, you know, three quarters of companies are disputing chargebacks today. That's excellent. We see that um, people are tracking where their chargebacks are coming from. So without a doubt, the market is definitely doing well. We, we also know we have more progress to make. We know that um, perhaps that win recovery rate could be better, or perhaps if you're not quite clear where your chargeback rate is or what your goal is or how to um, find what that optimum charge rate is, uh, there's definitely more progress to make. Uh, there's definitely differences when you're leveraging in-house re in resources or if you're leveraging a third party or outsourcing part of that. So you can kind of rely on what your core business is and, and outsource some of the expertise solutions that you might need. We know that chargebacks are getting more complex. We know that the good guys have more rules to follow. The bad guys have very little, if not any, rules to follow. Um, we also know that stolen data in the dark web continues to grow. So is there anything else, Don or Nate, that you would want to add? I'd say it's a really good summary. Um, I think some of the keys that I would say is, you know, we did a white paper uh, in the last few months on whether merchants should build a system or buy a system. Every, every organization is a little bit different, but the conclusion of the white paper was every merchant is a little bit different and you need to consider maybe, maybe it's a little bit of both, but there's some really good third-party solutions out there. Uh, you know, uh, we, obviously we'd consider Count and, and our partner Chargebacks 911 as third-party solutions. That, that's all we do. We live and breathe this stuff. Um, we, we're up to speed on what's happening, the regulations, trends, techniques that fraudsters have. And so that's a big consideration um, of what to do there. It is getting more complex. There's more rules, there's more regulation, and that's not going to, that's not changing anytime soon. So it's a, it is a big consideration. What do you think, Nate? Yeah, absolutely. 
um, you know, if, if, in closing, I would just say um, was was really excited to be a part of this and to to partner with Count. Uh, I think it's a it's a, an absolute natural partnership. Even looking at you know your main source of chargebacks being transaction or, or bad actors, ATOs, friendly fraud. I mean, this is that's exactly what we help with. Um, and then it, you know, just to to add to um, to what Malena said, please, um, I encourage you to download and read the State of Chargebacks 2018 report. Um, I thought there was there was so much good information to glean from it, um, and so hopefully we 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 spent a lot of time on it, and hopefully it, it's it's beneficial and informational for your business. All right, so we do have some questions that have come in, and then I want to just remind the rest of the audience: please submit any questions you have. We also want to highlight some upcoming events that Count and Chargebacks 911 would be at. We value that face-to-face -face interaction with you. So if you're in London, definitely check out the Fraud360 World Tour. If you're going to Etel West, let's connect there, or MAG, or MRC. There's um, a dozen other that we could cover, but we like to have that face-to-face -face interaction. Please reach out to Count or Chargebacks 911 if you want to just have a meeting and talk about some, some ways to partner together. All right, so moving on to the Q&A portion. One question that came in, um, Nate, this, you can probably cover this, and if it's really complex, you can cover mm -hmm. it offline, but someone's wondering, how do you calculate the chargeback win rate? So your, your chargeback win rate is, is, is based on your total number of chargebacks. So the example that I used was, if you have 100 chargebacks in a month, and you fight um, you know, 50 of them, and out of those 50 that you fight, you win 50% of them, then your chargeback win rate is 25%. That's not based on um, the percentage that you win, it would be based on the percentage of chargebacks that you win to the percentage of chargebacks that you had that month. Perfect. So this is another follow-up question. Are card providers required to provide documentation to the card holder for disputes? Let's say that one more time. So they're wondering, like, if the if the um, if the cardholder, like, what documentation does the let's say the consumer get if yeah. it's a dispute? Yeah, great, great question. So if you initiate a chargeback and um, the uh, representment comes through, you will get um, and and you the, the merchant wins the chargeback. The verdict is in favor of the merchant, proving that this was a legitimate transaction. Then your issuing bank that the cardholder or consumer um, initiated that chargeback with will provide a, um, a verdict letter. And in many instances, it uh, will send the compelling evidence used to decide um, either in favor of the cardholder or in favor of the uh, merchant. Perfect. So another person commented and they said that they've been suffering with Canadian chargebacks for um, since 2016 spring. They're asking for some good resources. I would think, you know, let's let's probably follow up with that person offline, Nate. Isn't that something you could help yeah, them with? Yeah, absolutely. Reach reach out. Um, that um, you know, certain certain geographies, as I mentioned, might be might be uh, more sticking points than others. But yeah, we're we're really familiar with it. Uh, we're a global company, so we can help you and we can formulate a strategy or at least provide some uh, maybe an ebook or some some helpful things to help you combat that. Great. Another person is asking, are there any common platform or dashboard for fraud prevention techniques or developments and trends? Uh, I know that Count and Chargebacks 911 both have blog articles that are dedicated to this. We both have white papers, ebooks. 
kind of an endless amount of resources, it probably can be a little overwhelming. So I, if it's something that it's worth a conversation to have that consultation call, probably take that extra next step. Nate, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, if it's if it's fraud prevention, uh, yeah, I, I would say absolutely. Um, uh, you know, count counts website, and they they crank out a lot of content just as we do. We we love to be resources, even uh, for um, you know merchants that aren't aren't working or partnered with us. Um, and then, yeah, I would also recommend there's some really good um, groups if you want to contact me. You know, following this, I can send some really helpful. LinkedIn groups and great websites and blogs to follow for all things CNP fraud prevention, strategy, chargebacks. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to help. Perfect. So another question that came in, Don, if you're still on the line, I'll direct this to you. Um, do you have any best practices or advice for merchants who conduct business over the phone so cars are not always present in that instance? Yeah, um, it depends on how the setup is. We call that moto, mail order, telephone order. There's some things that we won't be able to use, which we can use when you're doing an online or a mobile transaction, uh, like device ID that's just not available. Um, but for the most part, every other piece of information that we need, uh, for the count system at least, to track things down, things like velocities, our networking um, network effect, our AI, those things can still be initiated even though it's on a phone order. And it's just a slightly different integration into the system because you're using a phone system instead of a, a web system. Uh, but they interact pretty well and we've got great success with customers that do mail order and phone order uh, transactions as well. Great, thank you. We've had uh, a dozen other questions, so I'm kind of just going to run through what I can, and we want to be cognizant of your time. We know that some people need to get that survey in order to get the CP credit, but one question, Nate, you can probably answer. Someone's asking that there's some changes in the time frame for representment, and they're wondering if you know what those are. Yeah, so um, Visa has um, is rolling out in supposedly August of 2018. Um, their uh, Visa Claims Resolution, which is basically um, it's it's aggregating some of the reason codes from dozens down to four group buckets, <clears throat> and then it's also going to limit the uh, uh, or shrink the amount of time that it's going to take to process charge uh, chargebacks. And with that, also the window of time that you have to represent is gonna be um, shortened as well. The There's been some preliminary numbers sent out and I think it's gonna be down to Visa in, in August when this rolls out to, um, to supply everybody with the firm numbers. But you can expect as of right now, what they've pinned or penciled in is about a 25% increase in the window of time that you have to dispute chargebacks. Perfect. Well said. Thank you. So we're going to follow up with all the other questions offline. We do appreciate everyone joining us today. Thank you for taking the time. We appreciate Dawn and Nate for taking the time on this as well. We encourage you to please get that resource so you can check out the report. Um, reach out to us via email if you have more questions or if you want to set up a, a call or an, an overview of either of our solutions. And on behalf of Chargebacks 911 and Count, we just want to say thank you and have a great rest of your day.